The code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Thanks for joining us for Minute 28 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Are you excited about this week? Oh yes, I am. It's an exciting week. It is, actually. I'm definitely ready for some pirate action. And sure, we've had Jack swinging on a hoist. Dodging bullets and even sword fighting. All those things we'd expect from a traditional swashbuckler. However, we have had something missing from our lives. And that's explosions and cannonballs. That's what I've been looking for. Those are the must-have in pirate movie for me. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and we'll keep our fingers crossed that mayhem ensues sooner rather than later. This minute has quite a bit of ground to cover, so let's get underway. In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow got the drop on Will thanks to a well-timed splatter of soot from the forge and bellow apparatus that allowed him to tinker with cheating and pull a pistol on Will. You cheated was the accusation and pirate was the response. Pirate! Thanks for that, Heather. It's like you accentuate the story. I don't know what, what that would be well, called, but yeah. Oh God, you say that pirate, you gotta put some inflection into it. We're just, uh, we're just recapping, though. However... Back to where I was at. However, escape would not come to fruition this time for Captain Sparrow as Jack Brown levied a blow to the head with an empty rum bottle, effectively knocking Jack unconscious just as Norrington and his men break through the door and capture the wanted pirate. Commodore Norrington says, excellent. Excellent! There, that's for Heather. (laughs) Thank you, that's much better. (laughs) And that's not even really how he said it, but that's what she wanted. It's like the writers are giving us that pirate movie that we wanted, not the documentary. So Heather is waiting for the words that she wanted, not just necessarily how he said it. You got that right. Oh man, this is going to be a long one. Minute 28 begins with Norrington finishing his line. Work, Mr. Brown. You've just assisted in the capture of a dangerous fugitive. To which John replies, just doing my civic duty, sir. Or as Heather would like to say, just doing my civic duty, sir. The minute ends with a servant tucking a bed warmer under the covers at the foot of Elizabeth's bed and saying that her difficult day, meaning being threatened by a pirate, was terrifying. Elizabeth starts to respond with, oh. Oh, dot, dot, dot. Oh my god, the dots. I like the dots. You like the dots? Yeah, it tells you there's more to come. Okay, maybe we'll bring it back. If you don't like the dots, just let us know. If you like the dots, let us know too. We're easy going on that. Now I'm completely thrown off of what I was going to say. I think it had something to do with like, well, well, well. Norrington gets his revenge and the satisfaction of recapturing Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow. This can't be Jack going to jail. I mean, seriously. I think Jack is dead. Oh, poor Jack. There's no way. No, he's unconscious. We know he's unconscious. He's out. He he can't go to jail. That'd be the end of his luck, right? No, he always finds a way. But I think actually what's more important here is that somewhere in Port Royal, I just get the feeling that Gillette is wiping the sweat from his brow and saying, Woo! (laughs) It's like he wanted Norrington's first day as Commodore to be marred with letting a pirate escape. You can't have that. No. He's the the right-hand man. You can't let your Commodore go down on the very first day. Norrington is known as eliminating pirates from the Caribbean, and he definitely doesn't want one to escape on his home turf, for sure. For sure. 
Exactly. And considering Norrington seems to like variations on the saying, I trust you will always remember that this is the day that Captain Jack Sparrow almost escaped, Gillette was thinking, if Jack got away, that Norrington would constantly be reminding him about this debacle, saying, hey, Gillette, remember that day when you let Captain Jack Sparrow escape? I could just see it coming back to haunting him. <laughs> I'm serious. You know... You know he doesn't poor, want that. Poor Gillette would probably have to go on the gallows. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want that. No. It's like on his resume, you know, somebody calls it for a reference and he's like, you know, he's a really fine guy, but there's always that one day that he let Captain <laughs> Jack Sparrow escape. I'll always remember it. So he didn't want that. No. And and plus, Norrington really likes to, to take the verbal jabs at Jack. And he does like to gloat over his capture, but too bad for Norrington that Jack is actually unconscious at this time, so he couldn't really revel in Jack's retort or lack thereof. He could have given Jack an earful. That he could have. And I would I would be interested to see what Jack's response was going to be with that, or would he start to look around? Uh, He'd look for an escape again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The only reason he's not looking for an escape is he's uh, knocked out. He's laying in the dirt. But I think also we can't ignore the drunken elephant in the room here, and that's John Brown. John Brown saves the day with a broken bottle over Jack's head, but poor Will. He's like the oft-forgotten and never-complimented underdog that we've talked about. Do you see the look when John Brown takes credit? Yes. Will gets the look of disappointment. Like, like, are you kidding me? I have been sword fighting this guy. And not only that, it's not just sword fighting. I used, I invented a lightsaber and used this red hot sword to fight with. I balanced on a cart. I've been in the rafters on beams fighting. We flipped down. I got soot all over me. And what do you what do you guys think I've been doing in here with yeah. this dirt and soot all over me? <laughs> Why do you think I look like this? Yeah, and then he gets all the credit for clanking the pirate, the wanted pirate with a bottle. It doesn't seem fair. So John Brown steals the thunder and accepts the congratulations from Norrington without even throwing a bone to Will. Yeah, it's not even a help. It's just a I'm doing my civic duty, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I had to hear that again. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the that's the deal. I mean, it's this whole sword thing, too, over again. Will is delivering this Commodore's sword to Governor Swan. Governor Swan's like, wow, you know, pay compliments to to your master. Yeah. And it's like, obviously, this is the story of Will's life I'm starting to see. <laughs> he never He does all the work, for, but he doesn't yeah. get any of the credit. Poor guy. I don't know about you, but I at least wanted to do a mention here that we have four distinct locations during this minute. I don't know if this is a first for us in a minute, but we go from... Well, it's the excitement of going from blacksmith workshop to the beach overlooking the Navy dock and the hoist with the Fort Charles in the background to the Fort's jail to the Swan Mansion, more specifically Elizabeth's bedroom. Four locations in 60 seconds. That's crazy. That is crazy. We're jumping around. We almost need to break this down into 30 second segments. But I think it's just a sign that action is about to heat up and the story is ratcheting up. And I think we're getting a glimpse of where characters are and their current predicaments, if we want to call them predicaments. At least for Jack, that is. Elizabeth is a bit more comfy. Yes. But at least we're seeing like where they are actually at because things are heating up. We need to say, hey, where are our characters and what they're doing at this time? Because I have a feeling something's coming. Yep. Jack's sitting in the prison cell. Is it a prison cell or is it a jail cell? Jail cell? Whatever yeah, you, you want to call it. He's a prisoner. Jack's now a prisoner. 
And this is the prison or the jail cell, actually, if you want to call it that. The jail cell featured in the Disney ride. Wow. So that, that's your opening? That's my opening. It is. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> let me let me give you my rendition of it. No, wait, I got more. <laughs> I wanted to give my opening though. Wait. Okay. Okay, you can give your opening. This is one of the moments we've all been waiting for. A clear connection to the Pirates of the Caribbean oh, ride. I should have kept going. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I'm so glad they actually chose to add this scene to the movie because it actually gives you the connection between the movie and the ride. Yeah. And it actually, I think it kind of shows you a story that the ride kind of ventured to but didn't complete. Mm. It showed you all the little in-betweens and everything of the story. Yeah, that's true. And actually, maybe that's better than what I was thinking because saying in my notes that basically what we're seeing here is this like this classic this well it's maybe the most famous vignette from the ride itself actually and it's reconstructed here in the movie so in case you haven't seen it or haven't seen the ride i was waiting for heather to explain it but she didn't so basically we have this dog or this mutt this terrier that's holding the key in his mouth and he's just out of reach if you will from the pirate prisoners trying to entice this pooch to bring them the key and so although we don't really know that they're pirates, I know Heather reminded me of that. They are in the ride. It's all about pirates. So I'm just going to venture to say that there's obvious signs they are, even according to their dress, they are pirates. So let's just say Captain Jack's fellow prisoners have engaged in some form of piracy or in prison. So we'll just get that out of the way. But if you've been on the ride, then you definitely remember this piece. And it's like she was saying, or like you were saying, Heather. Mm-hmm. It is like a self-contained miniature story. Miniature. (laughs) And it does at some point tell us all we really need to know. But then there are a lot of things that are left unsaid, if you will, or or not developed. Right. So it depends how you want to go. You can see it as a self-contained story that's done. We know what's happening. The prisoners are there. They can't get the, the key from the dog and they're stuck there. Flames are coming. Actually, in the ride, flames are coming. Yes. But here, there's no flames coming. Right. So they're just trying to get it. Or it could be there's undeveloped details that are behind the scenes that we, that we haven't opened up to yet. And that's why the movie allows you to do that, or at least to get some additional insight. Right. And I think probably one interesting thing is, is not that the pirates are trying to escape when we're talking about the story, but the real meaning behind this and the thing that it's kind of that subliminal message is that dogs often don't listen and can be quite stubborn. (laughs) That's the moral to this tale. Yes. You want the dog to do something, it's not going to do it. If you don't want it to do something, it'll do it. Or if it's just sitting there, you know, in an innocuous kind of fashion, it'll do it. But as soon as you really want it to do something, that ain't going to happen. Nope. Or we could look at it from the other day. Maybe it's a really well-trained dog and the jailkeeper told the dog to stay and taunt the prisoners. It's one of those glass half full, glass half empty kind of scenarios with the dog training. So we'll just, we'll leave it up to the listeners to decide how that goes. That is a really, really trained dog then, if that's the case. Well, it's possible. Maybe he doesn't like pirates. But I have some cool stuff to come on the dog. Really? Of course, we're all about the animals here as we saw when we introduced Rosie the donkey. So I think we can really have some cool stuff for the dog. So I didn't want to have Rosie outshine the most famous dog in the Pirates of the Caribbean universe. (laughs) For sure. So we had to do that. Yes. 
Jerry Bruckheimer and Johnny Depp were talking about this scene and said it was funny and interesting how much it has been ingrained in American pop culture, but not so much in Britain. At least at the time of the premiere in 2003. I don't know about now. I mean, there isn't really a Disneyland in London. There are a number of, well, there's five Disneylands across the world. So maybe there's some travel and it has become with the movie more ingrained. But at the time of the premiere, as I was saying, the crowd went wild, cheered, and laughed during the premiere in Anaheim when they saw this scene with the dog. Yeah. And Anaheim, by the way, is the location for Disneyland. So it's like right at the home base. Doesn't everybody know that? Just in case. We have maybe some international listeners. Oh, okay. But you could hear a pin drop in London during this scene. It just didn't have the same reference impact as it did in the U.S. as it did overseas, or at least in London at the time. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, that is interesting, actually. And then we're, you know, we're a dog-crazy culture, too. And yeah. It's, and it's been something that's so historic for the ride, is to see that. And as a kid, you remember that scene as well. Oh, yeah. So I think that that's part of that whole magic of that. And when they're introducing the ride and bringing some of those elements that we've come to love, it was funny to see that actually recreated in the movie. Yeah. So I wanted to mention, I guess Jack has been on the ride before. I'm sure he probably has. He knew the dog will never move. (laughs) Yeah. He says that. That's right. I think this is a great Easter egg when we see the whole scene of the dog with the key and the, you know, to the ride. It's this mm-hmm. ode to the ride itself, not just in this physical recreation of the scene, but just as you were saying when Captain Jack Sparrow tells the prisoners that they are basically wasting their time because that dog is never going to move. Yeah. So it's pretty hilarious, actually, because no matter how many times he goes on the ride himself or I go on the ride or you go on the ride, it's strange, but that dog is always in the same place. <laughs> yeah. He is never, he, he move. never moves. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> but there is also some additional insight Jack has regarding our key holding canine here and how he knows it's not going to move. What's that? Well, we're jumping into the expanded universe. The prison dog was once owned by Captain Edward Teague, Jack's father. Huh. Oh, yeah. Blew your mind, didn't I? That you did. Through unknown circumstances, the dog ended up in Port Royal, where he was employed to hold on to the jailer's key at Fort Charles Prison in Port Royal. He was highly loyal to the jailer, as we see. He's not allowing the prisoners to, to entice him at all. While employed by Captain Edward Teague, he kept the keys to everything, including the dungeons of Shipwreck City. When he was a young boy, one of Jack Sparrow's duties was to feed the dog. Unlike other dogs, this one had a taste for rum. So maybe that's where Jack developed his liking for the beverage as well. <laughs> From the dog? <laughs> yeah, So, but Jack knows the dog. Yeah. He's, he grew up with it. He fed it. And so he knows this dog is not going to do what you want it to do, especially hand over the key. The prison dog is definitely a beloved character as it appears in the original Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in Disneyland from 1967. Right. But it also appears in the first three Pirates of the Caribbean films, or this dog appears in the first three films, and may have appeared in Jack Sparrow's City of Gold, which is the seventh book of the Jack Sparrow series, and in The Price of Freedom, which is where it was revealed that Edward Teague was the dog's owner. Huh. Very interesting. The dog also appears in the Walt Disney World ride, the Tokyo Disneyland ride, and Disneyland Paris ride. Wow. The Shanghai ride actually has a bit of a twist to it. The dog and the pirates are all skeletons. Oh, they took it to the skeleton version of it. That's pretty yeah. cool. So the dog's holding the skele- or the the dog's holding the key as a skeleton and all the pirates and their prisoners are skeletons. Right. 
So I found that kind of interesting. What is maybe more interesting is you just said the twist and the dog's name is, the real dog's name is Twister. Twister. There you go. That's a cute So he already knew what's coming for Shanghai. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, he's been retired for a while. So maybe he doesn't know. (laughs) He stopped paying attention to the films after he was out of them, after he retired. (laughs) There's also a notable difference in the original Disneyland Pirates of the Caribbean ride, which has three prisoners in the cell that's directly next to the dog. Yeah. And the movie has four prisoners. And this dog interaction may be the second reference to the ride that we've come across so far. The first one that I can think of offhand is a Pirate's Life for Me song that Elizabeth Swan sings on the HMS Dauntless in the opening scene. Yes. I mean, we could probably talk about dogs and jails and Captain Jack all day, but we can't leave out Elizabeth Swan. We don't want to do that. No, so I think it's actually time we move to the bedroom of Miss Elizabeth Swan. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. Oh, the humanity. Is she decent? <laughs> I don't know. Her wrist might be showing. Or, she, <laughs> or she's in her slip and corset. And in that case, we're not supposed to see. So I'm not glad it's not only me, but I have to go here. Even Kira Knightley couldn't help but guffaw at the maid's blatant cleavage shot here. <laughs> I just had to bring it up. Perhaps this is just an Easter egg. Another Easter egg because I like to look for those. But this one is an Easter egg for pirate festivals and renaissance fairs. (laughs) Just the abundance of cleavage. (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's right there in the beginning. It's it's like it's there on purpose. I don't even know. It's, yeah, why? (laughs) I have some theories. She was putting the bed warmer in her bed and just facing that direction. There's nothing in this movie as we've seen that's not on purpose. (laughs) And that is right there. It's like being slapped in the face. You know it is. And by the way, the maid's name is Estrella. Oh, okay. Just so we're not calling her maid or servant, especially since she's has a name. Let's call her Estrella. I'm starting to wonder, you know, as we're talking about cleavage, or you're talking about cleavage and I'm trying to get away from it. I wasn't it. talking about it. Let the record show Heather was you talking brought it about up. cleavage. I was trying to make excuses. I'm just saying, I'm telling the truth here, and let me go on. Quit interrupting. We're trying to move on. I don't know why you want to keep coming back to it. But I'm starting to wonder if this whole bed warmer part of the scene was just to throw this cleavage in the movie. You know, some kind of ode to Renaissance fairs. That, that's what I can say. But we talked about earlier how the course it was being cut off, Elizabeth, was gratuitous. So I'm thinking this just might be on the same level. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Let's just say that. It is. And I should probably look in the Pirates Wikia to see if there's a, a cleavage reference, but that'll just be something else. I'm, I'm a little you know leery of typing in cleavage into the internet. You yeah. know what's going to happen there, so yeah. we probably won't do that. And I don't recommend doing that for anyone out there, unless you have an antivirus on your computer. <laughs> Specifically, because I'm wondering if one really needs a bed warmer in the Caribbean. That's actually where I was going with all this. Well, it is a European custom type thing, because it gets so cold in Europe. I mean, I haven't been to Jamaica, which <laughs> well, is sad to say. <laughs> but drawing on my Hawaiian experiences, which is probably the closest thing I can have to something like that. And maybe I'm wrong now that I think about it because a bed warmer is something I pack with my snorkel gear <laughs> when I go to Hawaii. So it's possible now that I'm really considering it that, yeah, maybe they do need a bed warmer there. I didn't even, you know, it's funny. I didn't even think of the climate in Jamaica and the bed warmer. I didn't put those two and two together. You know, I was just, I just thought it was normal. I guess it's just because it's something of the day and something of, 
European custom type thing and you know yeah I know but we, I didn't I didn't think about it being Jamaica <laughs> yeah we talked about it earlier on when we were talking about the heat and Elizabeth dying because of the yeah dying because of the blazing sun and I think we talked about some of the average temperatures there but I didn't really look, remember what the lows were the at night and and things like that but I as I remember it was in the 70s and do you really need a bed warmer in the 70s? Although it is maybe overcast or fog's rolling in, so maybe it does get colder at some points. I don't know. It just seemed a little weirdish to have a bed warmer what? going on. But then again, I, I get hot really easy, and so that's possible that she needed it. I did want to say that um, bed warmers normally don't contain coal in them because that could actually catch the bed on fire. Is that wrong? And cause... <laughs> cause... Is that OSHA? OSHA. <laughs> well, see, OSHA wasn't around. Yeah. <laughs> and it would actually get the bed really dirty. So what they do is actually put heated stones in there, which would stay warmer longer. They didn't need oxygen to keep them warm. Mm, that makes sense. So they would actually do that. And they would run the, the bed warmer up and down the bed in between the blankets to actually warm up the bed before the person gets in there. I see. Rather than throw it in the bed with them. Ah, where they that can makes sense. burn themselves. Okay. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Wake up with scalding. Yeah, scalding feet. Exactly. <laughs> so At least she doesn't have a George Foreman grill next to her bed with, you know, so she can wake up to bacon and then step on it Michael Scott-like. Yes, and then wrap her foot up with um, bubble wrap. Exactly, mailboxes, etc. <laughs> I mean, this whole scene, though, according to the screenwriters, this elizabeth estrella interaction was not actually in the original script and jerry bruckheimer suggested that it be added to give us more insight into elizabeth's character oh that's kind of interesting because she you kind of get an idea of her feelings about a relationship with norrington and you know that's right so i i I think it was successful and i'm not saying this just because of the cleavage (laughs) shot that there is actually some quit bringing it back to you seem a little obsessed with the cleavage shot i keep trying to move away from it and you keep bringing it back we got it recorded here people will know it's live on the air essentially so as i was saying before rudely interrupted by heather in her talk on this subject I think it was successful, and I'm not saying it just because of the gratuitousness of this yeah. whole thing. Estrella is making small talk with Elizabeth and says it was a difficult day for her. And Elizabeth's first response is regarding the Commodore's proposal. And yeah. So she must be actually contemplating what she's going to do in, with that situation. Yeah, and that's when Estrella comes back and says to her, I mean, the pirate threatening you and how it must have been terrifying. And Elizabeth says, oh, and that's where we leave <laughs> yeah. off in the minute. So we don't really see what happens there. But clearly the terrifying part to Elizabeth of this day was the proposal from Norrington and not, yeah. the, not the pirate situation. <laughs> I mean, a gun to her head... A chain around her neck. And the one thing that she keeps coming back to is like, ooh, that getting the heebie-jeebies of is, ooh, Norrington asked me to marry him. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I leaped off the cliff. <laughs> so it's not even the fall from the cliff that was terrifying for her. No, it's There's Norrington. so many things here that could be terrifying for her, but the one is Norrington. <laughs> and he didn't even really ask her. He just started to mention it. She's like, I got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe she jumped off the cliff rather than fell because she she didn't want to answer the question. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that there's some behind the scenes stuff that we don't know. When Elizabeth is being brought back to the dock by Jack, that she's like, hey, 
can you take me hostage and get me out of here? (laughs) And then it all goes to hell and she's acting and pretending because obviously Norrington is the big threat here. Poor Norrington. Well, I think it comes back to her fascination and love for pirates and the pirate lifestyle. I mean, she was offended that Jack used her as a bargaining chip and a means of escape. I mean, that's clear. She got annoyed by that. But I don't think she was necessarily frightened by it. I don't get that sense. You know, she may have looked somewhat frightened, but in the grand scheme of things, I think her true feelings are shining through by Bruckheimer adding this scene. It was not only clever, but reveals a lot about her character's desires, her directions, her inner dreams. It's, it was more exciting than the last eight years. <laughs> well, that's true. For sure, she had an adventure. You know? Yeah. And we talked about that on previous minutes, that this is like her, you know, a big pirate adventure for her. Yeah. And, and what I was saying is about her dreams and stuff. She's an independent woman who's trapped in the 18th century, and she knows what she wants. Yes. I mean, she revealed her innermost thoughts and feelings, maybe on accident, just the way that she answered the comment, you know, that Estrella had. So I think it'll be interesting to see how she recovers from that in the next minute and where that goes. Can't wait to hear what she has to say. Fine. If you want to get back to the cleavage, so to speak, we can talk about Goodness. that. Yeah, I don't know why you keep bringing it up. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is the actress here, the one who flaunted her stuff. And yes, I'm talking about her acting chops here, folks. Get your mind out of Heather's mind here. I know you guys are channeling each other, but I'm talking about Paula Newman, actually, the actual actress who played Estrella here. Apparently, there was some discussion. Did you say Paul Newman? Not Paul Newman, Paula Newman. Oh, okay. Just wanted to clarify. Apparently, there was some discussion that they were actually going to end up using the scene. And we mentioned that Bruckheimer came in and suggested that they add this. So I'm pretty certain and glad that they did use it because it did give us a lot of character development. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gun. Really? I'm talking about the character <laughs> development. Look at all the stuff we just talked about, how it really shines on Elizabeth, what she wants in her dreams. Back to Paula now, Heather. She's making a return to Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And is it's actually listed on the IMDB page as an ADR loop group. Which is? Glad you asked. I don't know how long I was going to have to sit there and wait. <laughs> but it stands for Automated Dialogue Replacement or Additional Dialogue Recording. Depending on how you want to look at it. So the idea is that you are in a studio either replacing or adding to sound you've already recorded on the set or for a production in which you don't appear on camera. It's the blending into a background to form more real environment for lead actors. So it's kind of some of those background noises. It's additional recordings to enhance what you've already done. So she is really basically some of the the extras of the voice acting that's going on behind the scenes. Some of the general background noise and things. Oh, okay. She apparently does a lot of that. I mean, she has a, a number of credits, a few credits on her IMDb page as far as acting. But mostly from what I've seen is she's been doing a lot of this ADR voice work stuff. Oh, very interesting. Anything else she's been in? I did look it up, but it was, I think the last one was maybe from 2007, Aragon. And I I haven't seen it, so I'm not really familiar with the movie. There's a few other things. So 2007 was really the last time that it had really an acting credit listed for. Most of this other stuff is this ADR voice work stuff that she's been doing. Oh, okay. And apparently just on reading some forums or some actors that are actually involved in some of this ADR work or this voice acting work, they do say that it can generate some residuals for actors. So if you're a union actor, that you do get some of the residuals for that work. Oh, very cool. I agree. (laughs) 
So it's an interesting kind of take on the whole acting profession. Yeah. Provides a whole new revenue stream for them to do that as opposed to always, say, being on camera or looking for just those on-camera roles. This right. is another opportunity and a much-needed opportunity for them to enhance film by providing their voices and adding all those sounds that we hear. Very neat. So, yeah, so, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah, now that we've flaunted our stuff and actors have flaunted their stuff, <laughs> let's just say we call it a show. Get out of here. I'll let you think about whatever you need to think about. You know, here at Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, we're all about stirring the pot. And we wouldn't be true pirates if we did otherwise. We would not. So we're holding to this genre, this pirate truth, if you will, the, this pirate lore. And so we want to uphold that. We, we want to be true to the, the pirate myth, if you will. <laughs> so I say we call it a day. Okay. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 29 of the Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. It's Monday. Now get me some grog. <laughs> you know, if it's Friday, get you grog. If it's Wednesday, get you grog. I've seen a pattern here. True pirate <laughs> pattern. She's like Twister and she's like Jack Sparrow. It's always with the, the rum drinking. For joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. If you like the show, then leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean Minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash pirates of the Caribbean where we post additional content, have episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.